The story of God begins like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But when it comes to creation, how do we all fit in? We are, as the saying goes, but a tiny speck. But how small are we anyway? Well, let's start with our great planet Earth. If you were to travel around the Earth on a cruise ship, it would take you about 108 days. In 1933, Wiley Post was the first pilot to make the trip, and he did it in seven days, 18 hours, and 49 minutes. Today, if you could get your hands on a Mach 1, and if you knew how to fly it, you could make the trip around the world in just about 10 hours. Now, that's just our planet. How big is the Earth in comparison with the universe? Well, if the sun were as tall as a typical front door, Earth would be the size of a nickel. And our sun is just one star of at least 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. Now, just consider for a moment that while Earth's equator has a diameter of 7,926 miles, the Milky Way's diameter is about 621 quadrillion miles. We talked about traveling around the Earth, but what would it take to travel across the Milky Way? Think about it like this. American spacecraft are headed out of our solar system to what scientists call interstellar space. All right, all right, all right. Voyager 1 is the farthest out, more than 11 billion miles from our sun. It was the first man-made object to leave our solar system. Voyager 2 is speeding along at more than 39,000 miles per hour, but will take more than 296,000 years to pass Sirius, the next brightest star in our night sky. This is just a little taste, a taste of the vastness and greatness of the earth and the heavens around us that God created. And the best place to start maybe with understanding God is to take a look at His creation. The scriptures say, he builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets its foundation on the earth. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name, Amos 9.6. And in Psalm 33.6, it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And this same God who created the heavens and the earth, he created you. Every person sitting here and listening to me right now, we were all born into this world. And we all came the same way, you know? Not with strength, but fragile and small and weak. I mean, we couldn't even crawl, let alone stand up to walk and to run. When our first child, Aurora, was born, I couldn't believe the hospital was letting us take her home. We had absolutely no idea what we were doing. We also didn't know what to do with our hair. But we were so clueless. And that feeling, it didn't change when we had our son, Ewan. Or it didn't get any better when we had our other daughter, Reese. So small. So fragile. Did you know that babies are born with 300 bones? Which is almost 50% more than adults have. And their bones are... They're softer, and several of the bones in their skull even overlap one another during birth to help the baby squeeze out. See, God made us like an Amazon package, small, <laughs> compact as possible. This is just one of the many ways that we are all incredibly made. Here are some others. A newborn baby startles at just about anything. 
And not because it's softer or louder, but just because it's new. A newborn can hear just as well as an adult, and a baby can recognize his mother's voice from just one syllable. Even as babies, we're able to feel things. Like messages from our brains, they travel along the nerves at up to 200 miles per hour. Our bodies can detect taste in 0.0015 seconds, which is faster than the blink of an eye. And when we sneeze, and around Austin, we all sneeze, it can travel about 100 miles per hour. As an, an adult, as an adult, you just take one step and it uses up to 200 muscles. As adults, we spend 33% of our lives asleep. By comparison, a python spends about 75% of its life sleeping. A dog spends about 44% of its life sleeping. And a cat spends 99% of its life sleeping. All right, I, I might have made up that last one. Now, but look, just, just take a deep breath right now. Go ahead, just do it. Do you feel that? You take about 23,040 breaths every day, or about 672,768,000 breaths in your lifetime. And in the years after birth, you grow into a child, and then into adolescence. And as we grow, these brains of ours and these hearts of ours, they form dreams. And we have these things that we just feel like we were created to do this. A group of students were polled about their top dreams, and this is what they said. I want to be a dancer. I'm going to be an actor. I'll be a musician. No, I'm going to be a teacher. I want to be a scientist. I'm going to be an athlete. No, I want to help people as a firefighter. I'm going to solve crime as a detective. I want to tell stories as a writer. I want to explore space as an astronaut. And when we're kids, we believe that anything is possible. So we study, we go to school, this year, 3.6 million students are expected to graduate from high school. And we work hard and we hope that we're loved and that we learn to love others. But somewhere along the way, we fall in love. We were created to love. Did you know that when two people stare into each other's eyes, their heart rates sync up? Looking at you, babe. Did you know that cuddling triggers the same neurological reaction as taking painkillers? And believe it or not, statistically speaking, men are quicker than women to say, I love you in a relationship. Though you may not believe that one. We live in an amazing universe, everybody. And we are created by God as incredible human beings with big dreams and to give and to receive love. But I bet if I made every one of you today Raise your hands and describe your life that most of you wouldn't use words like amazing or incredible. I bet for some of you, a lot more honest and raw words would come out of your mouth if you were to explain how you really feel about this world. So where do things go off track? According to Forbes, nearly three decades ago, 61.1% of workers said that they liked their jobs. 
That number has slid over time, reaching an all-time low a few years ago when only 42.6% of workers said that they were satisfied in their jobs. So, so if the work doesn't make us happy, then what does make us happy? Well, the number one cause of happiness, according to Forbes, is not our salaries or job description. It's not the equipment or the gadgets that some of us get to work with. The number one cause of happiness, according to Forbes, it's the people. It's the people that we work with. Outside of our careers, we sometimes we fall in love and we get married. About two million people say, I do, and get married every year. But there's one divorce approximately every 36 seconds. That's nearly 2,400 divorces per day, 16,800 divorces per year, and 876,000 divorces per year. And we don't just reject each other in marriage, no. No, actually, we hurt each other in all sorts of ways. See, we relive and re-experience social pain more vividly than we do physical pain. Like, think about it. Think about that time that you hurt your knee when you were in the seventh grade. And it brings back a, a slight twinge of memory. But think about that mean thing that your mom, your boyfriend, or your teacher said to you in the seventh grade. All of those feelings suddenly come screaming to the surface. And these hurts, they can define us. And the sad part is, is that hurt people, well, well they hurt people. Abuse. Lies, cheating, shame, that mistake that you so desperately wish that you could take back, this is what the Bible describes as sin. It's a, it's a word, it's a deed, it's a, a desire that's in opposition to the eternal law of God. And all of this just goes back to the beginning. It goes all the way back to the beginning because God didn't just create the heavens and the earth, but God also created a man and a woman. And he named the man Adam, which means ruddy or created from the earth. And he named the woman Eve, which means living or lively. And they lived in the Garden of Eden. And in the middle of that garden, there was a tree. And God gave them this fatherly warning. You can eat from any tree in the garden except for this tree of knowledge. Please do not for any reason eat this one. It will hurt you. But Adam and Eve wanted to control their own destiny. To become like God by their own knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to pursue life on their own terms. And so they resisted God's plan and purpose. And their choice, it separated them from God. So they hid from God. They lost paradise. And they were forced out into the world. See, this is what sin is. Sin is separation from God. Separation from this amazing and loving creator that we've been talking about. Imagine the worst parts of yourself running around rampant and unchecked, destroying yourself and everybody around you. This is what sin does. And we've all sinned. All of us. Humankind was in the wilderness for a long time. We were in exile and we were powerless to make things right. Something had to change. Humankind needed hope. We needed a savior. We needed rescue. An all-knowing, all-powerful being to reach out 
and to rescue every single person alive and every single person who would ever live. What we got was a baby, a small and fragile infant that needed to be changed and burped and swaddled so that he didn't get too cold. A baby born in a barn or maybe something closer to a cave in a little town called Bethlehem that nearly no one on earth had never heard of. And God's rescue plan had begun. If humanity had been paying attention, we, we would have noticed, noticed that God had been putting this plan together all the way back from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and took from the tree of knowledge. Because this baby was no ordinary baby. His mother was a human woman named Mary, and his father wasn't Joseph, but God himself. And this made the baby fully human, able to laugh and cry and feel pain, but also fully God with the power of the creator of the universe stretching from his tiny fingertips all the way down into his baby toes. And this made him the most unique being we had or ever would encounter. His name was Yeshua, later to be Latinized as Jesus. And he lived among us. He learned carpentry. But we didn't hear a lot about his life until he turned 30 years old. And he performed miracles. And I got to be honest with you, everybody. Some of them, they were strange. Like, he spit in the dirt and he took the mud and he wiped it on the eyes of a blind man so that he could see. And he did. <laughs> An entire town was ready to stone a woman to death. And Jesus, he saved her by going to the ground and drawing something in the dirt and insisting, those of you without sin, you can cast the first stone. A man who was paralyzed was lowered by his friends down through a roof. And Jesus said to him, pick up your mat and walk. And he did. Jesus also told stories. He told the story of a man who was beaten and left on the side of the road for dead. And then explained how a good Samaritan came and he bandaged his wounds and he paid for his medical care. He told the story of a prodigal son who ran as far as he could from his father. He sinned until there was nothing left. This guy squandered all of his inheritance and the family fortune. But yet amazingly, his father welcomed him back with arms open wide. See, Jesus told these stories to show us how much God loves us and how we can love others. And so people, by the thousands and by the tens of thousands, they began to follow him. But now the religious leaders of the day, they didn't understand. They couldn't accept him. They couldn't receive him as the promised Messiah. They couldn't receive him as the son of God because they wanted to control the power. They wanted to control their own destiny, to become like God by their own knowledge of good and evil and to pursue life on their own terms. And so they resisted God's plan and purpose. And their choice separated themselves from God. They convinced one of Jesus' closest friends to betray him. And Jesus was dragged away in the middle of the night under false accusations. And soon, even his closest friends would deny that they'd ever even met him. Now the trial was a mockery. 
And Jesus was sentenced to death. But for what? For, for healing the sick? For turning water into wine? For raising the dead? For showing us the love of God? No, no, that same enemy that caused Adam and Eve to sin in the garden, he was up to his old tricks once more, intent on destroying God's rescue plan for you and for me. And so the people who were just days earlier chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the king, were now screaming, crucify him. And Jesus was forced to carry his cross through the streets of his hometown. He had to walk past the men and the women and the children. Those people that had watched him feed 5,000. Those people that had watched him heal the sick and raise the dead. And now all of them were simply asking, is this all a lie? They took him to a hill called Golgotha and they hung him on an old wooden cross. Was he angry at us? Did he hate us? No. No, because he knew that this, this is why he was here. That separation from God that had taken place at the garden, it was finally coming to an end. And at that moment, the doors of his heart were wedged wide open and he was telling us, let me take that sin from you. Give that burden to me instead. Here, let me carry it. I'll pay the price for you. I'll take the punishment that you deserve because I am big enough. I am wide enough. I'm not a judge that you should fear. I'm the father who longs for every last one of his children. I'm the friend who will never leave you. I'm the light that pierces the darkness. I'm the hope that your shame can't extinguish. And I am the gift without a cost. And at that moment, Jesus became the open door to sorrow, to suffering, to guilt, despair, horror. He took it all on himself. Abuse, lies, cheating, shame, that mistake that you so desperately wish that you could just take back, he took it. And when it was all over, he simply proclaimed, it is finished. His followers must have thought, why? Why did he come just to die? See, they didn't know what we now understand. On Friday, all was lost. But Sunday was coming. And on Sunday, God would do the impossible. When Mary Magdalene came to pay her respects at his tomb, her face tear-stained, her outlook hopeless. She found Jesus wasn't there. An angel was at the tomb and he said, you're looking in the wrong place, Mary. Jesus is not amongst the dead and buried. He is alive. He is risen. See, the message of Jesus, it's about restoration. It's about resurrection. It's about making dead things new. 
like those dreams that you had as a child, no matter what your journey has been, you can believe God created you for a purpose. The hurts that you've experienced, the disappointments, the disappointments, the crushing disappointments you've endured, God wants to heal them and to restore you. All those mistakes that you feel like you've made, those failures that you thought would absolutely ruin you, they do not have to define you forever. This morning, we're here to remember that the God who created the heavens and the earth and the Milky Way and the stars and this amazing universe that we live in is the same God who created you. The person who will breathe over 23,000 times before this day is over. The God who created all of this is no longer separate and distant. You can talk to him at any moment. He's here. He's right here. And he's with you. See, Jesus, and what he did on the cross and his resurrection, he restored all things and made them new. And that includes you. He paid the price for every sin so that you don't have to. He conquered death. He conquered fear. He conquered suffering. And when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, a miracle happens. You can take any sin. You can take any sickness, any stress, any struggle, and you can lay it at his feet. Cancer, a bad day at work, an affair, a divorce, shame, your loneliness, your depression, it can all be left at the foot of the cross. See, the resurrection is a picture of what's possible in our lives. If someone else's mistake or foolishness has harmed you, if you've made a decision that you just wish you could take back, listen, I want you to know today, there's hope for you. If you've been controlled by sin and it's enslaved you, if you've been controlled by anxiety and it's stolen away your life, if you've been controlled by an addiction and it's taken everything from you, Jesus wants to set you free. The Apostle Paul talks about what it means to be free like this when he says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And that's what God wants for you. Just look around you. Pictures and metaphors of this new creation, they're all around you. It's the amazing process of a seed that dies but is transformed into the beauty of a springtime flower. It's the sunrise where light washes over every hill and valley every morning to make all things new again. It's a butterfly emerging from a cocoon in the miraculous metamorphosis of a new life. These are just pictures of what Jesus wants for you. So today, you might feel darkness and emptiness. You might feel something similar to what Jesus felt on the cross. Today you might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you feel it, you know it. But I'm here to tell you today that you're not without hope. You're not. Resurrection life is possible for everybody. It's possible for everybody in the room. And so this morning, 
I just want to invite you to respond to it. To respond to this amazing God of the universe, the one who knows every hair on your head, the one who knows every single moment of your life, that God is here. And he's here to do something new in you and in me on this Resurrection Sunday. So I'd like to ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to pray with me. And I'm just asking you to close your eyes because I don't want you to think about anybody else. And I don't want you to think about what they think. I want you to realize today, along with me, that the resurrection, it changed everything. I can tell you it changed everything for me. And it changed everything for you. And if you'll confess Jesus is Lord today, you can be a new creation in him. God is already reaching out to you. The truth is, he made all the first moves. All you have to do today is respond. This morning, if you have a diagnosis from the doctor and it doesn't look good, if you have fear and anxiety that's gripping your soul, if you have a sin that's controlling your life, and, and no matter what you do, you, you can't seem to shake it, or if you have a secret that you, you just really don't want anybody to know about, Jesus is here to give you a new start today. If you have a desire to take that next step in following Jesus, if you want to experience resurrection life in your soul today, if you're thinking, could this really be true and could it be for me? It is. If you need the love of the Heavenly Father to come and rescue you today, would you just pray with me right now? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, Father, we want to thank you for your rescue plan. We want to thank you that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, part of yourself in partnership with you. You sent yourself to come to the earth, to die on a cross, to be humiliated, to experience suffering and agony, to participate in this world so you would know everything that we go through. You died, but you didn't stay there. You rose again, and you were victorious over death, over sin, over hell. And we can take everything that we've got going on today, all of our hurt, all of our pain, all of our suffering, all of our stuff, we can give it over to you today. So Father, in the name of Jesus, as hearts even now are beginning to respond and to pass it over, I pray for resurrection life to fill this room. And for resurrection life to fill each and every heart, for resurrection life to come and cleanse every mind. Father, in the name of Jesus, let resurrection life fill us on this Easter Sunday. We receive it in Jesus' name, in faith.